The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. World Corrupt is brought to you by Tommy John. Raj, (laughs) these are the waning days of November. Just enough time for me to give one more fall is chaos in your pants lecture to you. Uh, You're overheating one second. You're freezing your boys the next. To be ready for anything, you need underwear that can handle everything. It's time for Tommy John underwear. I can now attest to this personally from personal experience because, well, I've been wearing them during every U.S. men's national team game this tournament. I've soiled at least three pairs a game. (laughs) When you're wearing Tommy John underwear, you are that much more comfortable so you can do everything better, including soiling yourself. Name a problem without underwear and Tommy John has solved it. Well, my problem was that before Tommy John, I wasn't wearing any. Am I sharing too much? No, no, no. There you go. Problem solved. Tommy John's a breathable, lightweight fabric has four times the stretch of competing brands. They come with a no wedgie guarantee thanks to a non-rolling <laughs> waistband and legs that never ride up. Plus, they feature a horizontal quick draw fly with over 18 million pairs sold. People love Tommy John underwear. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Plus, everything's backed with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Go to TommyJohn.com world. Go right now for 20% off your first order. 20% off at TommyJohn.com world. TommyJohn.com world. See site for details. Politics, history, basic humanity are spilling out everywhere in these games. Are you okay to be representing the U.S.? Meanwhile, there's so much discrimination happening against black people in America. One thing that I've learned, especially from living abroad in the past years, and is that in the U.S. we're, we're continuing to make progress uh, every single day. For the 2026 World Cup, I just hope that our response as a nation is to realize that we're not above reproach and to deal with criticism more like Tyler Adams than FIFA. Welcome back to World Corrupt, a podcast about the 2022 World Cup in the only obvious place to host (laughs) such a tournament, Qatar. I'm thrilled to say that your ears are listening to a podcast that has gone into stoppage time. Yes, this is the seventh episode of what was supposed to be a six-part mini-series. Yes, it's true, Raj. I'm just not ready to say goodbye to you, buddy. Don't want to close my eyes. (laughs) I don't want to fall asleep. Because I miss you, Thomas. Oh, and I don't want to... By the way, how have you not changed your name officially to Tommy John? Just for, I don't know. Just, right, good question. Just for branding purposes. That's how deep we are in the World Cup action. Little bit dotty, little bit dizzy. Christian Pulisic, you're a god among men. Born in a manger in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Was his goal against Iran the... Single greatest use of American nuts since General McAuliffe at Baston, Tommy. <laughs> okay, so I had to Google this one. Uh, General McAuliffe, listeners, is famous in army circles for replying with just one word to a German demand that he surrender. That word was nuts. Inspiring stuff, Raj. But I know that if General McAuliffe can survive the Battle of the Bulge, then Kristen Pulisic's bulge can make it through this one. 
But I digress. Uh, incredible <laughs> performance by Christian and the U.S. men's team and their win over Iran. Uh, but we'll get to that in good time. And speaking of not getting ahead of ourselves, as I said earlier, this is the seventh episode in our series. If it's your first time listening, we are thrilled to have you. But we would highly recommend you go back to the beginning to hear about FIFA's history, their corruption, Qatar's atrocious human rights record, and the many, many other reasons Qatar should not be hosting the World Cup. And then what teams, players, and fans like us can all do about it. But today, in this stoppage time special, which likely won't last as long as, I have to say this, the extraordinarily random and enormous amount of stoppage time referees are just ad-libbing at this World Cup. (laughs) We're going to talk about the World Cup coverage, how Qatar has fared as a team in this competition. Spoiler alert, not good. And also as a host, (laughs) spoiler alert, not good at all. And the political protest free-for-all that's emerged as a result as the tournament rumbles on the on and off the field competition between the United States and Iran. We'll briefly ponder what it will feel like when the world's eyes are trained on the United States when we host the 2026 World Cup along with Mexico and Canada in just four years' time. Tommy, lot to get through. Are you ready? I'm ready. Eager even, like uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, ready to grab a bag of cash from the Saudi government. (laughs) But enough about that. If we add any more topics, Raj, we will have to record a penalty kick episode. And if it does go into penalties, got some news for you, Thomas. The Germans, they'll inevitably win. Nine. Uh, Okay, back to business then. Uh, So... (laughs) <laughs> Roger has been Ger- strapped. German Tommies. German Tommy is probably not one of my top 10 favorite Tommies. I got to tell you, like that took me by surprise at nine. So Raj, as you can tell, who's listening, who are watching him, he's been strapped to a TV like the guy in the clockwork orange since this tournament started <laughs> and has seen every game. And like, again, Raj, I'm amazed uh, at your stamina. I know what it's like down there in the podcast content minds. The casual listener probably looks at us. They see what we do and they think, that's not hard. You know what? And they're right. But those Men in Blazers live shows, I know they take a lot of energy and preparation, so I salute you from here. My ability to feast on football, though, was helped enormously by the Thanksgiving week timing. It has gotten to the point where Hannah, my beautiful wife, uh, officially finds it annoying or finds me annoying. Uh, how's it all going <laughs> in your house, Raj? <laughs> That's well, my house I've not really seen a lot of. We have been on tour. We are going from sea uh, to Shining Sea. We're in the middle of a coast-to-coast tour we were in uh, i can't even remember the cities they're all wonderful it's like philadelphia dc uh, I, I think i was just in austin for several days mm-hmm. um, we're headed to nashville any minute now atlanta los angeles we're coming for you and it is a bit insane the the tour aspect it's like we're like a band on the road which is grueling in itself but we are like a band on the road and because we're responding immediately to the on the field the off the field the football the geopolitics in real time we're like a band who is writing a new album mm-hmm. every bloody night uh, but yep. the energy the different cultures the remarkable cities just the passion the joy is what is driving us at this moment. Um, and I will say America is, has most certainly got, a, and I'm not a doctor, but I diagnose a nasty case of World Cup fever, uh, which is 
just a joy. It's like a wave that we're surfing. Um, and I do feel, you asked me how my house, how is it my house? I've, I, I've been here for a couple of hours. I got home at one o'clock last night. My dog, Martin Scorsese, welcomed me home <laughs> alone. At 1am, he'd done a massive crap in his cage. It was really the, the hero's welcome. <laughs> but I'm now legally married to the World Cup. I even had the Universal Life Church Minister do Ooh. the honours and everything. Um, luckily, my partner, Vanessa, is proper football. She has watched her fair share, as of all my four children, um, and the tour has meant that they're able to do so in the right spirit, which sport's meant to be enjoyed and not with me screaming at the television and changing my soiled Tommy John several times a game. I'm not too proud to admit it. Starting with the pregame, if I'm being honest, Tommy. Yeah, I think I'm actually an ordained Universal Life minister myself. I did a wedding once. Anyway, enough about me. I have not watched a lot of the pre or post game on Fox Raj in part because uh, I don't want to catch a case of uh, Alexi Lawless. But <laughs> what what have you made of the coverage so far? It's been a touch uh, controversial. It has been a touch controversial. And you know, what's troubled me the most about it is not so much the way Fox have treated the political portion of the competition, but really the fact that they have not covered it at all. And it was Ben mm-hmm. Strauss at the Washington Post. He, he wrote a piece right before the World Cup where he reported that Fox would not touch anything geopolitical and ultimately, he uncovered that they were doing it for a reason. Reason being Qatar Airways, yes, Qatar's state-owned airline, stepped up to serve as a major, major sponsor of the network's coverage. In fact, made sure they had enough money to actually take the broadcast over to Qatar, where they were going to do it, I think, from LA. Um, so essentially, our American broadcast content is being underwritten by the Qatari government itself. So Fox Hmm. have chosen to completely ignore anything, anything even tangentially connected to the geopolitical stories, even even the ones that are undeniably and intrinsically linked to the football itself. None of the human rights stories, the armband wars, or even the United States and Iran having such an insane international fracas ahead of their game which we will discuss where press conferences became conversations about race and inflation in America. And Fox's reporters would do these eerie instant reactions where they airbrushed out any disharmony. You wouldn't even know anything was going on. Instead, they've kind of chosen to feed us up a steady diet of, and I crap you not, falconry. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where they go, they go to great lengths when they they go and watch Falcons training. What they training and training killing, but then a voiceover comes in and says, "We assure you, no prey was hurt in the making of these films." For real, you know, it's very important to us that the Falcons' prey does not get hurt, but we won't mention the thousands of foreign workers who've died to make the whole football thing go off. Isn't this how Pravda in the old Soviet Union used to work? It's got some Pravda vibes. Yeah, it sounds like the, the Falcons were just like playing tag in the desert with the little creatures they impale with their talons. I, That's how this I'm goes. not going to hurt you. I'm just <laughs> going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, Roger, I admittedly had very low expectations for Fox. That was because David Neal, the executive producer of Fox's World Cup coverage, told journalists back in October that he viewed issues like Qatar's treatment of migrant workers to be, quote, ancillary to the story of the tournament and said they would not be part of Fox's coverage. I did not, though, expect them to veer into literal infomercial 
territory. I was waiting for these guys to start trying out different types of blenders or juice matics or whatever. <laughs> Fox, the ShimWow! <laughs> the ShimWow. Fox has been getting a lot of grief for one softball interview uh, one of their hosts did with Hassan Al-Thwadi, the Secretary General of Qatar's World Cup Supreme Committee. Topics in the interview included... Thank you for this beautiful set, Mr. <laughs> Secretary General. I wish I was kidding. The, the Washington Post, as you mentioned, they reported on this sweetheart sponsorship deal with Qatar Airways, as you highlighted last week. All of this stands in really stark contest to some of the great coverage you've seen. The BBC has done a great job. A uh, friend of the show, Tarek Panja, continues to report on the plight of migrant workers in his coverage for the New York Times. I know Telemundo said they were going to cover these, these off-the-field issues. So... Fox's coverage aside, though, Raj, I have been pleasantly surprised at just how much airtime the issues around Qatar's human rights records got into the run-up, at least in the U.S. I get the sense, people I talk to, it seems like there's a widespread understanding that Qatar was a bad choice to host this tournament for a variety of reasons. But even for those outlets that are watching it closely, that coverage of Qatar's human rights issues is cool considerably as... The games have kicked in. The competition yeah. has ratcheted up. The story of Messi is now messying. Ronaldo's now Ronaldoing, um, and also Johnny Infantino, the president of FIFA, he stopped Johnny Infantinoing. And you may remember him, listeners. We talked about him a lot um, on this show. He, the gentleman who looks like he was just plucked fresh from an open casting call for Spectre criminal masterminds who could play the next James Bond movie. He of the insane rambling epic open speech, the place where whataboutism meets verbal diarrhea. Surely you remember <laughs> this, dear listeners. Today I feel uh, Qatari. Today I feel Arab. Today I feel uh, gay. Today I feel disabled. Today I feel uh, a migrant worker. So Johnny Infantino, he's quite the showman, quite mm -hmm. likes the spotlight, and he was everywhere over the first couple of days of the World Cup. But since shooting himself firmly in the foot, that once red-haired, freckled bastard, he's gone to <laughs> ground. <laughs> he's been eerily silent or been silenced. Yeah, smartest thing he's done. Yeah, but what it's meant is there's been nothing to rage against. Even the International Olympic Committee, and when you say those words, even the International Olympic Committee, even they give regular briefings during mm -hmm. the Olympics. FIFA have gone utterly radio silent. And I also think there's a moment we talked about last week when the German national team played their opening game against Japan and the players lined up in their traditional formation for that pre-game photograph. And as the camera was about to click, all 11 players covered their mouths with their right hands in a coordinated gesture. Their coach, Hansi Flick, later said, it was a sign from the team, from us, that FIFA is muzzling us. And there was one problem. The team went and lost a shot result, 2-1. And rather than be applauded by their home fans for, for stepping up in the moment, the act drew an incredibly mixed response. Viewing figures, it should be said, have been incredibly low, unusually low in Germany. There are a lot of fans in the German football, the Bundesliga, in the run-up, you may remember. Uh, huge number of banners, boycott Qatar, huge demand amongst the hardcore fans for their team not to go. So from their perspective, the gesture was too late. 
and an empty one because they were playing and they shouldn't have been. And then there was an element of society that was just like, oh my God, you did it. You did the gesture and you lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how you say shut up and dribble in German. Is it die Klappe halten und dribbeln? So whatever it was, it was shouted loud, uh, aggressively, so aggressively that German star Ilkay Gundogan, who's an incredibly thoughtful bloke, he quickly announced, quote, the politics are finished and that from now on the team will just focus on the football and celebrating. And that loss almost served as a cautionary tale, as it did for Denmark. You may remember them, listeners. They have the monotone jersey where they said, we'd mark the fact that we we want to play a World Cup, but not in Qatar. They too crapped the bed. Two impotent losses. They got their wish, bounced out of the tournament, leaving a lot of their fans wondering if their players were just totally distracted. So especially as we enter this Squid Games S portion of the group stages where teams start to be eliminated, the players become locked into their football and football only, Tommy. And there's still, you know, off the field flare-ups of Qatar's never-ending war on the rainbow. Damn you, rainbow! You artificially (laughs) non-natural thing. But the footballers... They've gone completely stumped. Being mad at rainbows, I think, is is comically funny to me. <laughs> I like who's next, right? Sunsets, fjords. It's how we lost the unicorns. Apparently, <laughs> it's right. The unicorn vote is gone. Uh, I think on Wednesday of this week, so the day before we're recording this, uh, FIFA, who are nothing if not experts at comedic timing, finally <laughs> gave a public assurance that rainbow items and banners supporting protests in Iran will be allowed into stadiums just in the nick of time for all of those fans who have been harassed by the Qatari security forces. Kind of giggled then because we laugh or else we cry. Um, Iran played games and there were just so many fans trying to bring Persian flags in, bringing women life freedom flags in and the Qatari security cracked down on all of them. And while I'm sure, because I try and be a good-hearted person and believe in people, that the announcement was intended to go out before the tournament. It just got stuck in Jani's inbox. Mm-hmm. I hit send, right, but right. I must have had no service. I'm so sorry. It's a laughable gesture because almost the moment Iran went out, one week into the tournament, their fans will actually have no chance to show their banners, to parade their slogans to the world because their national team will not kick a football again at this tournament. I, and I really did feel for those Iranian players, and, and we'll get to that game in a bit. Um, but speaking of teams that were eliminated, the very first to meet that fate, Raj, was Qatar, I believe. Now, is that is that a good showing or, or a bad showing for a host country? <laughs> is that a leading question, Your Honor? You tell me. Oh, tell me. <laughs> They were. Qatar were the first team to be kicked out of the tournament. How do I put this? After they'd only gone and spent over $220 billion to host the tournament in the first place and chipped in over $2 billion more into developing elite football players in a hothouse laboratory. I mean, scientifically loaded youth development academy. It's called the Aspire Academy. We talked about it in episode three, about the Qatari quest to build the Qatari Messi. I think the emphasis was more on the Qatari part than the Messi part, by the way they play, because their team was simply awful. Losing all three games and what was the single worst performance by a host nation in the history of the World Cup. By the way, in the game when they got beat for the third time, against the Mm -hmm. Netherlands in a half-empty stadium. Fox made absolutely no mention 
that this was the single worst and fastest elimination by a host nation in the tournament's history because, again, that line undermines their right to host the bloody thing in the first place. Um, they just kept saying, what a good showing. They're only 2-0 down right now. That's really impressive with the kind of line that they took. And I watched it and I was just like, oh, my God, my pillow commercials are less of an infomercial <laughs> than the coverage at sometimes. And look, at least the pillow is useful. I'm not sure you can say the same for Alexi Lawless's power rankings. Um, sorry, Alexi, I, <laughs> I really did cheer for you back in the day. And by the way, Raj, $220 billion spent by the Qatari government. By the way, the pay up FIFA campaign, which is asking FIFA to set aside or the Qatari government to set aside $440 million to help all these workers who would hurt could be paid 100 times over with that amount of money. It's, just, it's absurd. They could solve all of their political problems just by helping those folks out. But anyway, the Qatari Maroon were so bad, as you mentioned, that many of their own fans left games early. And the New York Times's James Montague, which sounds like a 15th century French philosopher <laughs> that I failed to read he in is, college. He is. He Michel is. de Montaigne. How long have you been working here? Since the 15th century. <laughs> it's changed a little bit. Straight to touch. He reported that Qatar's most vocal fans, their ultras as they're known, were bussed in from Lebanon. Now that is embarrassing. Raj, what is an ultra? And why did Qatar have to import them? <laughs> it's, it's it's actually an amazing story. Again, we laugh because if we didn't laugh, we would weep. Ultras are hardcore football fans who live and die, follow a team, sing for the team. You have the team's crest tattooed uh, on their purse and think essentially football's equivalent to the Bills Mafia. Mm. And these diehard fans, their whole life revolves around football in general and their team in particular. I love Bill's Mafia. I hope the uh, the ultras do elbow drops through folding <laughs> tables like the guys up in Buffalo. Roger, are you the lead uh, Everton ultra? Uh, Tommy, I'm probably about 150 pounds and a tummy tattoo away from being considered an Everton ultra. I don't know that a Tracy Chapman <laughs> tattoo is going to do it, pal. That's not going to cut it for you here. <laughs> Oh, mate, you should see when I'm about to get into a fight at the game and I just lift up my shirt and they see tr that Tracy Chapman first album cover tattooed on my belly, the way they quake and charge away in fear. But this is not about me. This is about guitar. It's lack of fans. It's lack of a footballing tradition, which we've talked about throughout the show. Um, they don't have these types of fans. There is not... Uh, Qatar and the word ultra just do not go together and they do not go together for a reason because there are bona fide football fans in Qatar for sure, a few. And football, if you ask yourself, is it woven into the fabric of society in such a way that they'd have mm -hmm. these type of fans like you do in other countries? Absolutely not. And the reason for it is actually fascinating. And I'm not sure if you've heard, Tommy, but Qatar, they've got an oppressive regime at the wheel running things. I did. I heard, I heard that a little bit. <laughs> Don't know if you knew that, TV. Read that somewhere. They see the songs crafted on the bleachers in football-mad nations like Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, Lebanon. They see them as a threat, not just to football, but they see to their very uh, standing because the football fans have chants that have often been the soundtracks to anti-government protests. And so often, football fandom is deeply connected to uncontrollable revolution, to uncontrollable dissent. And because Qatar wants to squash these movements before they occur, they're a nation that simply will not tolerate any kind of organized football fandom. Look, and in fairness, right, there's not that many people in Qatar to begin with. So maybe the lack of support is explainable or understandable, which is, I'm sure, 
what the Qatari government did per usual. They were open. They were candid. They admitted to the world that they were paying off these folks. There was transparency, right? Close, Tommy. Instead, the New York Times reporter, who sounds like a 15th century French philosopher, he realized that in watching Qatar's first game, where there really were, there was probably like a thousand uh, fans all wearing the same shirt, a maroon-colored shirt with Qatar in English and Arabic, and they were so passionate and they were so organized and they chanted. And long after all the other Qatari fans had left, they kept bringing it. And he noticed they've got lots of tattoos. And he also knew enough to say, that is not common for Qatari. So he went, spoke to them, and it turns out, well, here's the backstory. <laughs> the Qatari organisers of this World Cup were terrified that their team would take the field and have absolutely no atmosphere. So they did the logical, rational thing. They started to scout fans, recruit fans in nearby Arab countries, They particularly like the Lebanese clubs, and they went out there and almost auditioned them these ultras offered them free flights, accommodations, match tickets, food, plus a small stipend. I feel like I'm doing the sale, closing the deal now <laughs> to bring essentially ultra culture, import it to Qatar's World Cup games. These fans were essentially mercenaries. So the fans that we keep seeing on the broadcast, they keep showing these maroon shirts, the ones with Qatar written all over them. So excited for their nation, so excited. They're not Qatari football fans at all. They're essentially, they're essentially paid actors, extras. And now some of the fans quoted in the New York Times, they do say that as Arabs, it's their job to support a fellow Arab nation. But the entire thing, this whole story, is just given off, almost reinforced that stink of artifice and engineered atmosphere and just the complete artificiality and sterility of the whole thing. I think in the TV biz, they call it Atmos. <laughs> I, I look, I also, I bet there are a lot of migrant laborers in Qatar who would have loved a stipend. They would have loved an afternoon off and a free ticket to a game. But, you know, I guess that wasn't the image that Qatar wanted to portray. And by the way, Roger, this is the second major New York Times story about Qatar paying fans to come to the World Cup. Who wrote the other one? De Tocqueville. Was it the top bill? <laughs> yes. the other one? I think Rousseau wrote that one. Yeah, um, they also God, we, they also paid fans of a bunch of teams, participating teams, to attend as long as those fans would agree to only post positive things about the host nation, Qatar, but also to narc out other people who were criticizing <laughs> Qatar on social media. So, like, when you add it all up, it makes the whole thing feel artificial. It is basically the Splenda of World Cup tournaments. Oh, and on this podcast, we're hashtag team sweet and low, baby. <laughs> uh, Raj, I know you're on the road, on the pod, on the stage, yes. pretty yes. much everywhere at yes. this point covering the World Cup. Can I give you a little diet hack? Keep the air conditioning on, even in winter, to help combat the meat sweats. <laughs> That's a good one. But I want to tell you about a product I use literally every day. It's called AG1. I've been taking it for years. I love it. It doesn't taste super healthy. It's got a kind of a mild, tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning. Oh, sounds perfect for chasing down some Prince's hot chicken. Extra, extra, extra hot while I'm in Nashville. Perfect for chasing down any hot Prince. You hear that, Harry? It's time 
to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition. One scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash corrupt. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash corrupt to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Do you think AG1 is Merrick Garland's personalized license plate? (laughs) Pod Save the World is brought to you by the UN Refugee Agency. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, responds to emergencies and provides long-term solutions for refugees. They provide aid in over 130 countries, including Ukraine, Syria, Afghanistan, and Sudan, where people are forced to flee from war and persecution at their greatest moment of need. UNHCR helps and protects refugees by providing food, shelter, medical care, and other life-saving essentials. The agency jumpstarts relief in three key ways. They transport core relief items stored in even the most remote areas of the world. They deploy expert emergency staff trained to help in crisis situations, and they transfer funds directly to support the emergency. Because of generous supporters and donors, UNHCR can scale up its response within 72 hours of a large-scale emergency. Your support helps provide life-saving aid for refugees whenever and wherever emergencies occur. Donate to USA for UNHCR by visiting unrefugees.org slash donation. That's unrefugees.org slash donation. Despite Qatar's attempts to control almost every aspect of this tournament from the very start, from their remote control clouds that they promised would block out the sun, to Qatari Ultra Fantasy Camp, and despite Johnny Infantino's pleas to stick to the football, this tournament's really (laughs) spiralled because... Once European ministers realised that they could turn up in the official boxes wearing rainbow armbands that the players were not allowed to wear and that no one could stop them, the Qataris themselves got involved. They counter armbands. Several of them turned up featuring pro-Palestinian designs at the Japan-Germany game. And from that moment on, the genie just seems to have leapt out of the bottle at this tournament, the political messaging, the symbolism, it's just never been more omnipresent than at this World Cup. Politics, history, basic humanity are spilling out everywhere in these games. And it sometimes feels that we're in a global whataboutism standoff fought <laughs> with armbands at high noon, which the football is really just a, a fleeting diversion. I love that, a global whataboutism standoff. But Raj, I, I, think, almost, I think literally the first time I ever talked to you you said that during the World Cup, each country's history and their politics takes the field with the players. And I thought at the time, that's a pretty good line. I think I'm going to steal that later, pass it off as my own. <laughs> Sounds smart for once. But I don't think I realized just how true it was and just how present those histories would feel until I started watching this tournament. I mean, during the Germany-Japan game, all I could think about was that this was like an all-axis powers matchup, and I was waiting for... Italy to storm the field somehow and also get beaten. Uh, They didn't make it, by the way. History was there again when Tunisia beat its former occupier, France. There was Iran versus England. The list goes on and on and on. And it just, I think, underscores how ridiculous it was for FIFA president Gianni Infantino to ever pretend that sticking to football was an option, right? And so my take on the endless armband duels is just like, let everybody fire away. 
You know, if Qatar's response to criticism of their human rights record is to highlight the treatment of Palestinians, I would argue that that is a pretty cynical deflection that doesn't address the underlying issues. But I also, I too want to see negotiations that lead to a Palestinian state and better life for the Palestinian people. So let's just like, let's air it all out and let's talk about these issues in a respectful way and stop trying to silence people, especially players. It's also manifested itself in much more flickering, menacing ways and just on band breakdance battles. <laughs> Serbia's Football Association, they hung a controversial flag, put it up in their locker room before the Brazil game. And the flag showed an outline of Kosovo, one filled with the colours of the Serbia flag and the words no surrender. Instantly, the Football Federation of Kosovo, who are not in this tournament, they filed a complaint to FIFA, which has opened up disciplinary proceedings against the Serbian Football Association. Tommy, can you just explain the previous hit? Yeah, I'm not a fan of this one. So Kosovo is a, a tiny little landlocked country wedged between the Black Sea and the Adriatic Sea. If, you, if you're Trying to imagine it in your mind's eye, basically you go due north of Greece and you're, you're there. So Kosovo was part of Yugoslavia until the early 90s when the country started to break up. And that breakup unleashed all kinds of fighting and warfare and just horrors. And the fighting included uh, a brutal crackdown by Serbia against ethnic Albanians who are seeking independence in what's now known as Kosovo. That fighting only ended after NATO got involved and started bombing Serbian targets. Um, Kosovo later declared independence in 2008, but to this day, there are NATO peacekeeping forces in Kosovo, up in part because the current Serbian president has vowed to never recognize Kosovo as an independent country. So over the summer, there were flare-ups again. Kosovo accused Serbia of stirring up ethnic tensions. They said that effort was actually backed by the Russians. So this flag that was hung up in the Serbian team's locker room basically says, Kosovo, you don't exist, and we will keep fighting until you are under our control. It's incredibly inflammatory, some argued genocidal language. There's another instance which really, really laid me low, also from the Balkans, but also hitting slightly closer to home as it involved a beautiful, beautiful bloke, the Canadian goalkeeper, uh, Milan Borhan, who those of you who have watched this lovable Canadian collective will know is a sweet, sweet bloke who has a penchant for wearing sweatpants and not just shorts and occasionally pulls on a hood that just adorbs because it makes him look very slightly like Cornholio from Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> and Borhan was born in Croatia, in an ethnic Serb region that was part of the conflict that split the former Yugoslavia in the 1990s. And Tommy, I'm going to need you to bring us up to speed on this. Yeah, listen, unfortunately, Raj, this incident dates back to that same uh, Pandora's box of horrors that was opened up by the breakup of Yugoslavia. Borhan is a, an ethnic Serb, but his family lived in a town in Croatia that was mostly populated by Serbs. You know, there were little enclaves or ethnic enclaves all around the region. And that is, they lived there until his family had to flee their hometown in 1995 when it was taken by Croatian forces. And there were stories at the time that Serbs were so desperate to escape that they fled on tractors. Uh, and Croatian fans at this Canada-Croatia game apparently held up a flag with a John Deere tractor on it uh, in the name of Borhan's hometown in an effort to taunt him, which is, you know, very classy to mock 
families who are desperately trying to escape a war. Classy. And honestly, watching it was horrifying. And I know that the Qatari security teams in the stadiums were probably so bloody busy hunting down all those dangerous rainbows to have time <laughs> to handle something linked to war atrocities and, you know, death. But America, the country that I love so much, even they couldn't escape the mire of politics and history at this World Cup. And this became clear earlier this week when the US ramped up for that win or go home game against Iran. Spoiler alert, they won. Um, but Iran, that nation that's really been at the epicenter of so much of the politics of this most political World Cup, largely because of the women's rights protests currently sweeping that nation. Let's start there, Tommy. Tell us what's happening in Iran. Yeah, I mean, we touched on this a little bit last week, but, you know, Iranians have been out on the streets protesting since September when a young woman named Masa Amini was murdered by Iran's so-called morality police. I can't bring myself to call them the morality police because they're really just thugs who harass and arrest women if they believe they aren't dressed conservatively enough, like if a little bit of hair is showing from under their headscarf, for example. Uh, and when these protests started... They really were focused on the treatment of women, the, the actions of the morality police, uh, and just the, the horrible way that you know women were plucked off the street and just beaten and bruised in, in police stations. But over time, uh, the crowds have grown, and as so often happens in these protest movements, the list of demands has grown too, and you see people now calling for essentially regime change, you know, death to the dictator. Um, and in response the government crackdown has been absolutely brutal. I've seen estimates of over 16,000 protesters arrested. Hundreds have been killed, including children. There's no doubt that those are undercounts uh, and the true scope of, of what has happened is not known to us. But, you know, it's really an extraordinary moment in Iran's history. And at this World Cup, we've seen the Iranian players refuse to sing their anthem in their opening game against England, which watching it, was so unbelievably moving, an act yeah. of true courage as the regime um, seeks retribution against dissenters. And CNN actually reported that the regime then threatened their families. And so half-hearted anthem singing continued before their games from that point on. We've also seen women, life, freedom banners and, and Persian flags sprouting from fans in the stands. There was one brave woman who came to the game wearing a jersey with Masha Amini's name on the back of it. She stood there briefly for the camera. She had blood paint dripping down her face. It was one of the most striking images of yeah. this whole tournament. Qatari security, got to say, quickly on that one, shirt confiscated. I, I, I imagine they've got this gigantic room in every single stadium, which is just chocker full of rainbow stuff that they just open the door and <laughs> fling more in there. You know, the Leprechauns in there, yeah. Anyway, the Iranian team's appearance, their bravery in this tournament, it's been, it's been such a source of light, a complex source of light, but we really can't say enough about it. Um, and that's all background. Brace yourself, listeners, to the lead-up of the United States game, which was a must-win for the US. And in the run-up, someone in the US men's national team, social media crew, stepped, well, let's just say they stepped in a pile of politic, uh, <laughs> in a post that went out across their platforms for about 24 hours. They decided to remove the symbol of the Islamic Republic from the center of the flag on on their postings, only showing its red, white, and green stripes. It was, a, it was let's say it's a well-intentioned but incredibly clumsy attempt to support 
the protests that are happening across that country. Let me just quickly say why I felt like that social graphic was a bit of a, an own goal, Raj, if you will. So first of all, <laughs> thank you. It just sort of seemed insulting to everyone. I'm not sure who's, who's aided by like a crappy Photoshopped image that was only up for 24 hours and then pulled down as the players and the coach of the U.S. team had to brief the press and say they weren't consulted about this whole thing. Um, it felt like a bit of a half-baked attempt at clickbait that came not long after a truly embarrassing tweet uh, at and about Taylor Swift that we won't talk about more. Um, I'm, <laughs> I am, look, I, I'm very comfortable criticizing Iran's supreme leader. I'm, I'm comfortable criticizing its elected officials and Iran's uh, security services, but not the people of the country. I don't want to insult them. And as a country, as a nation in the United States, we have to be mindful that we have a complicated history with Iran. In 1953, the United States, backed by the British government, uh, supported a military coup in Iran that toppled its democratically elected leader. The United States then helped prop up a pro-Western but hated government for decades for oil revenue, basically. It was called the Shah. And then in 2013, President Obama cut this historic deal with Iran to prevent them from getting a nuclear weapon, which Donald Trump pulled out of before slapping more economic sanctions on them. So the moral of the story here is that, you know, the U.S. men's team Twitter intern or whatever uh, wandered into a bit of a political minefield here, and they would probably be better off you know, stick into thirsty messages about Taylor Swift, even if we can forget that one ever happened. But uh, I will just say, wandering into the Taylor Swift fan base is a geopolitical minefield. Ooh. It's a dangerous game. Be in careful. Account, but yeah, BTS is the only one that's scarier, if, you, if we're being honest. <laughs> but the keyboard brinkmanship was really just the amused boost for all that followed because the Iranian state media agency, Tasneem, Call for the U.S. team to be immediately booted from the entire tournament. They they threatened, get this, to file a complaint to FIFA's ethics committee, <laughs> which which had a, a, I mean a startling effect. You always heard the entire world just turn around and laugh and be like, "What? <laughs> FIFA's pretending that it's got an ethics committee." Amazing. I mean. It was just, it, it's not much that truly unites us in around the globe, but I think just lolzing that there's, uh, the, there's a door somewhere in FIFA with a uh, the title Ethics Committee written on it is just, it's like, it's like me having a hairstyle committee. <laughs> anyway, the poor US players and manager suddenly caught in a swirling geopolitical storm in which the State Department had to step in, put out a press release to make it clear to everyone that it had not been involved at all in any of this, that it was just the US soccer intern going full send on those graphics. And it would get worse for the United States boys because the pre-match news conference held ahead of the game Monday. In it, Iranian journalists engaged our 23-year-old captain, Tyler Adams, from Wappingers Falls in an exchange that quickly went global. Tyler, this question is for you. My name is Mila Javamadi from Press TV. First of all, you say you support the Iranian people, but you're pronouncing our country's name wrong. Our country is named Iran, not Iran. Please, once and for all, let's get this clear. Second of all, um, are you okay to be representing a country that has so much discrimination against black people in its own borders? And uh, we saw the Black Lives Matter movement uh, over the past few years. Are you okay to be representing the U.S.? Meanwhile, there's so much discrimination 
happening against black people in America. My apologies on uh, the mispronunciation of your country. Um, yeah, that being said, you know, there's discrimination uh, everywhere you go. Um, you know, one thing that I've learned, especially from living abroad in the past years and uh, having to fit in in different cultures and, and kind of assimilate into different cultures, um, is that in the U.S. we're, we're continuing to make progress uh, every single day through education. I think it's it's super important. Like you just educated me now on the pronunciation of, of your country. So um, yeah, it, it's a it's a process. I think as as long as you see progress, uh, that's the most important thing. Oh, can I just say, Tyler Adams? He and I have done a podcast together all year on uh, his journey to the World Cup, and I'd like to think that I obviously played no small role in preparing him to deal with idiotic questions and arseholes because I've asked him as an arsehole lots of idiotic questions for the past 12 months. But in all seriousness, this was, to me, whatever happens in the World Cup, the greatest American men's World Cup moment of 2022. It was incredible, humanly how Tyler handled this, right, Tommy? Can, can you think, let me ask you this, can you think of a single politician who will be able to handle a situation like this with such calm, with such intelligence, with such humility? No, probably not. I mean, look, a, a couple thoughts on this. One, growing up with the last name Vitor, which was mispronounced an infinite number of ways, Vitor, Viator, Viator. I never really understood people getting all upset about mispronunciations, but... That's fine, Roger. We, we Lesson learned. Iran <laughs> will fix it going forward. But look, truly, credit to Tyler Adams, mostly just for being unflappable there in front of the entire world. I mean, he showed grace, humility. He didn't get mad. at a, It really kind of a cynical uh, effort to invoke his race. And he answered the question in a way that was honest and real and not defensive. And I, I walked away feeling like, that's my captain. By the way, when you did, went to the uh, When I Grew Up, I thought you were going to reveal that you were once bullied as a freckled redhead. I'm glad <laughs> that, that we didn't have to hear no. about that pain. But I will say, to have so much poise at the age of 23 is just unbelievable. And it was at that moment right there that no matter what happened in the game, I, I, I felt like Tyler Adams had just won the World Cup. And Iranian journalists, on the other hand, they then proceeded to launch into the most ridiculous line of questions uh, I've seen at a footballing press conference in a long, long time, uh, including some fired at our manager, Greg Berhalter, uh, whom they started to ask about inflation in the United <laughs> States. Uh, and this one, my personal favourite, Tommy, they asked Greg Berhalter, manager of the US men's national team, why he'd not pressured the United States to remove a naval warship from waters near Iran. Tommy, Greg's a gent who still has yet to come up with an effective corner kick routine. <laughs> so this was this was a little bit farcical. But I need to know, who are these reporters? I, I love that so much. Coach Greg, why won't you get the USS Harry S. Truman out of the Strait of Hormuz? It's a, it's a fair question. Um, so these, <laughs> these reporters, let's, let's do the air quotes here for those who are watching at home. They were from Iran's press TV, I believe. And the thing to know about press TV is they are not press. Even the name is, is Orwellian. It is state-run TV. I believe they are the only organization legally allowed to broadcast radio and TV in Iran. And press TV is owned by an organization who is run by a guy directly appointed by the supreme leader of Iran. So they take orders from the top. We used to have to deal with these guys all the time back at the White House. There was an old Russian dude who pretended to be a reporter when everybody knew 
he was a spy. None of us ever saw him file a story, Raj. It wasn't like a great cover. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a real pain. Is his name Piers Morgan? That's way too harsh. We don't want to clean up another international incident here that uh, that will be handed to Tyler Adams. Basically, Iranian press TV guys, they are propagandists, right? So they are more Sean Spicer than Wolf Blitzer, if you get my drift. Yeah, Wolf would never, Tommy. But Tommy... You've worked in that White House when all this is going down. A social media post gone awry that gets the attention of the Iranian government. Iranian reporters asking Triple G Greg Berhalter about US military strategy. You know, gunboats. One tiny tweet and suddenly, like, I I just imagine, like, gunboats rotating their, uh, their, their direction of trajectory. What happens at an actual diplomatic level? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the State Department got asked about this. I, I mean, and I would all but guarantee that the person who has my old job at the White House and the National Security Council, they did too. I know that CNN reported that they asked State if they had coordinated on the graphic with the men's soccer team. They had not. But like when those questions come in, you actually have to run that question up the chain through the bureaucracy, and you have to make damn sure there was no coordination, maybe at a lower level that senior leaders weren't aware of and have your facts straight, because if you're wrong, this could turn into an even bigger conspiratorial mess. And and I can tell you from experience that little things like this stupid Photoshop job can become big problems internationally quite fast. God, I would have loved if the State Department put out a press release just saying, we didn't have anything to do with this, but for the love of God, Boholter, can you play Geo Raider for more than seven minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Support for Pod Save the World comes from the International Rescue Committee. The IRC works in more than 50 countries, serving people whose lives have been upended by war, conflict, and natural disasters. In places like Gaza, Ukraine, and Sudan, displaced families are experiencing war, extreme hunger, and life-threatening injuries. In Gaza, ongoing violence, bombardment, and blockade have made survival difficult for families living in damaged buildings and tents. The lack of safe water, medicine, and healthy food contributes to the spread of diseases, and children are especially at risk. The International Rescue Committee is working with local partners in Gaza to provide life-saving medical care to injured civilians. The IRC works around the world to help families in crisis by delivering critical supplies such as therapeutic food for malnourished children, clean water, cash assistance, and more. Your donation will support this work and help children and families survive. Listen, the International Rescue Committee is an incredible organization. They are doing the Lord's work all around the globe. I have donated to them, you know, for many, many years now because I know that my dollar will go towards helping people. It's not going to go to administrative costs or overhead fees. It's just an incredible group doing great work. I hope you'll consider them. Donate today by visiting rescue.org slash rebuild. That's rescue.org slash rebuild. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, if you're listening to Pod Save the World, you need some therapy. If you're watching the events around the world that might freak you out, got this election coming down the pike. There's a lot of stuff that people uh, are stressed about, that are anxious about, stuff that makes you lose sleep, and therapy can help. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash crookedworld. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crookedworld. (laughs) 
Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. What I want to know is, where, where does all this leave us, Tommy? An event, the World Cup, which is meant to be filled with joy, global connectivity, meaning, but so rife, uh, occasionally rancid, to be honest, with politics and fast becoming even more political because we love a bit of a recency bias at Men in Blazers. It is a currency in which we trade regularly, but this World Cup, it's been political before. Remember back in episode one, we talked about Mussolini's 1934 World Cup, 1978's run by the Argentinian Hunter, and of course, 2018, Vladimir Putin's World Cup. But this, this is most certainly the single most overtly political World Cup I have experienced. And if we thought this one was political, projecting forward, what does that have to say about the next one? Which is, Tommy, I've just forgotten where it is for a second. Can you remind me? Right here, the U.S., Mexico, Canada. We actually, uh, Los Angeles, Raj, we're going to get some games at SoFi Stadium. I'm very excited. Already planning uh, where I'm going to sit, how I'm going to get there. I hope you can come visit. Oh, Stan Kroenke sitting there watching on like a, like the Emir himself. And already, <laughs> journalists, European-based journalists, are pondering what that may look like after a mass shooting of Virginia that left six people dead. The New York Times' Tariq Panja, a gent who, as we mentioned earlier, he's covered this World Cup so bloody brilliantly. He quote-tweeted a news report about the shooting, and he said, these are his words. He said, such a regular occurrence there that it's now expected. Host of the 2026 World Cup wouldn't blame fans if they felt anxious about these events when thinking about whether or not to attend, end quote. And Tommy, that tweet... The foreign policy questions for Greg Borhalter, all of it, all of it got me thinking, what will the World Cup in our nation be like? What what policy issues, both foreign and domestic, will will serve as the sidecars to the football? Will we be the ones who have to prepare for the criticism? Will we be the ones who have to prepare for the scrutiny? So your question is basically, what will Fox not be reporting on? <laughs> it's a lovely, uh, it's a lovely day here in Los Angeles, yeah. Yeah. So look, Tariq is, is absolutely right. I mean, in, in frankly, it's probably good for us to occasionally pause and try to look at ourselves from an outside perspective, because I don't know, maybe we could learn something. And you know what, like teams, players, fans visiting the US for the 2026 World Cup, they will have every right to be concerned about the fact that you can buy and walk around with a, a machine gun in this country. I mean, that is nuts. It is shameful. And the fact that we haven't done anything about it is, is shameful and, and deserves criticism. As that exchange with, with Tyler Adams showed, I'm sure critics will bring up uh, America's history of slavery and Jim Crow and the systemic racism that still exists in this country to this day. That is a completely valid critique. I would not be at all surprised, Raj, if the, the pro-Palestine armbands make another appearance. 
countries criticize the U.S. support for Israel. Uh, you could imagine calls from Latin American teams for the U.S. to apologize for the CIA's meddling in South and Central America during the Cold War. The list goes on and on. The point is, it's coming. And I just hope that our response as a nation is to realize that we're not above reproach and to deal with criticism more like Tyler Adams than FIFA and not trot out some greasy jerk like Gianni Infantino to run interference for us and try to silence people, right? Like freedom of speech is the core of who we are and should be the value that we are projecting at all times. And we will have a rainbow, just an arc. Oh, please God, from sea to shining sea. And with that, we bring this episode of World Corrupt to a close. Tommy, I know that we're both living a lot of life right now. I, I just want to wish you and your partner at this incredibly special time, just oh, just health, joy, and human wonder, and your entire team at Crooked Media the best. You are a beautiful bloke. I've loved every single second we've spent together creating this series. And to be clear, dear listener, this is not us closing the door on the possibility of another episode once things settle down, or, or once Johnny Infantino records some kind of diss track aimed at the kids who bullied him for being a ginge. <laughs> but for now... Everyone at Men in Blazers just wants to send you, and you in particular, Tommy, big love and courage. Thank you, buddy. I, I, I truly love doing this show with you. Your team over at Men in Blazers is extraordinary. Uh, you guys have given me the gift of this time together, the series. Uh, unfortunately, you have turned me into something of a football fanatic. I don't know that Hannah is thrilled about that. In 2023, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get those tummy tattoos, right? Tracy Chapman for you. With a mom for me, maybe, or something like that. We're going to go to Goodison Park. We're going to find the first guy who has a bad thing to say about Christian Pulisic. And then we'll probably make some jokes. I don't know. That's all we can do. But jokes aside, I sincerely do hope that we can we can link up again when the football is over. We can yap one more time uh, about all the things we learned and loved and hated about this tournament. But until then, lots of love to you, Vanessa, your kids, your dog, uh, and all the listeners who went on this journey with us. Uh, I'm grateful to all of you. And one last word, I'll say whatever happens when our boys take the field um, against the Netherlands, one of the few teams um, in this tournament that we have no geopolitical beef with whatsoever. Um, it's just a joy to watch them, the men and the yeah. women who represent the United States, a diverse, eclectic, kinetic squad of wonder. And in this time of chaos, in this time of division, let's just marvel at them because they are one of the few things that just whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you believe in, they really make us all dream and they give us a sense of unity. And ultimately, that's the final thing I'm incredibly grateful for at this World Cup. Godspeed, gents. Courage. World Corrupt is an original podcast collaboration from Men in Blazers and Crooked Media's Pod Save the World. Alongside Roger Bennett, I'm your host, Tommy Vitor. The executive producers and writers of World Corrupt are me, Roger Bennett, my great friend, Tommy Vitor, and Men in Blazers, Jonathan Williamson, who incredibly edited and sound designed the episodes like Phil Collins drumming and singing at the very same time. <laughs> a talented man. From the Crooked Media side, our executive producers are Michael Martinez, Sandy Gerard, and Giancarlo Bizarro. Our producers are Ryan Wallerston and Haley Muse. And our associate producer is Saul Rubin. For Men in Blazers, our producers Miranda Davis and Martin S. This episode 
was fact-checked by Nikki Shaner Bradford, music by Vasilis Fotopoulos. With editing assistance from Nick Furshaw. Additional production support from Crooked Media's Zuri Irvin, Kyle Seglin, and Ari Schwartz. And Men in Blazers, Mix Discarood. Special thanks to Crooked Media's Julia Beach, Amelia Montooth, and Matt DeGroote. As well as Men in Blazers, Scott Debson, Michael Milberger, and Alex Sale for their promotional social support and love. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.